You may go ahead and be seated this morning, and as you do, let me just invite you to bow your heads with me in just a time of gratitude and praise and prayer to our Lord. We've sung this morning about the goodness of God, and we've sung in countless ways of how God has chased us down, how He's been faithful to us, how He's manifested His goodness in ways, and I just want us to take a moment where we pause and think about all the ways that God recently has been showing His goodness in your life. You know, if you're anything like me, it's far easier for me to pick out what's wrong in my life than it is to stop and give thanks for all the good that happens around me. And so all of us, day in and day out, are recipients of God's grace, we're recipients of God's goodness, where He is at work in a variety of ways. And and I'm not going to tell you how to figure that out, but here's what I know. If you're paying attention, you're seeing the, the work of God in your life. And so with your head bowed and your eyes closed, just... Take a moment in your own words, in your own way, to offer up praise and thanksgiving to God for the goodness that He has shown you. And this morning, as we reflect on God's goodness, we're going to talk about how the Scripture tells us that the Spirit is going to produce in us kindness and goodness toward other people. So I think it's important if we understand those dynamics that as God is giving good things to you and I, we in turn are reflecting and doing the same to others. So Father in heaven, we come before you today humble and grateful because God, as we look at our lives, there are countless ways every day that Father, you're showing goodness toward us. Father, you've been faithful, you've been kind, you've been benevolent, you've been compassionate and merciful and gracious. And Father, the fact that we're able to gather here today and sing your praises as a redeemed group of people is evidence in and of itself that you truly are good. But Father, as we're going to look in your word, we see that with knowing you comes transformation in our hearts and lives. And Father, as we've talked repeatedly Father, our desire is to see us become more and more like You and conform to the image of Your Son, Jesus. And Father, I pray that as Your people, that just as You are kind and good, we would be known as people who are kind and good. That Father, as the world looks at Your church and looks at those who profess Your name, that Father, we would not be known by our anger or hostility, bitterness or resentment, But Father, we would be known as people who are kind and good because as we're going to see here in a moment, Lord, it's Your kindness that leads us to repentance. When Your kindness appeared, salvation appeared. And so Father, we want to be like that. Father, I pray for those who are at home watching because they're sick and not able to be here. Father, I pray for those who in this last week, last month, have lost people close to them. Father, as I visited with people this morning in our church, there are those who have loved ones who seem to be on the cusp of of death. And Father, we pray that you would be with them as well. Father, we pray today that you would have your way in us in such a way that, Father, there would be evidence of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. So, Father, would you produce that in us today by the power of your Spirit? We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, let's go back to Galatians chapter 5. We have been here for the last month plus as we have been talking about 
what it looks like for you and I to be the type of people who receive the Word of God with sincere hearts, with genuine hearts, and out of that, fruit is being produced in our life. And so as we talked about that from Luke chapter 8, we thought, well, let's make sure that we're all on the same page about what this fruit is going to look like and what it's going to be like and how it's going to manifest itself in the life of God's people. And so we've been studying Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where the Apostle Paul is revealing to us that really a contrast of ways of life. He talks in Galatians 5 about how we can live according to the flesh and the carnal side of our lives. That's who we were prior to Jesus Christ coming in and invading us and changing us. But he tells us that we need to put that person away. We need to discard that guy and we now need to live according to the Spirit. And he says, here's how you're going to know that you're living according to the Spirit, because the Spirit is going to produce fruit in you, and these fruit are going to be evidenced in these ways. And so we see this list, and we categorize the first three really as inner qualities. Now, one of the things that we're going to see today is that all of these things that are, are things that God is producing inside of us, but the first three really are categorized in this inner capacity by which love is in our hearts, and joy is in our lives, and peace is in our lives, and all of this stems from our relationship with God vertically, and then it bends itself outwardly to how we relate and deal with other people. But the next triad or the next category, the next three really are primarily focused on how we treat other people. And so we looked last week at patience and talked about that patience isn't just the ability to wait, it's, it's part of that, but really it's the ability to suffer long and to be willing to, to not hold records of wrong. It means it's quick to forgive, it means it doesn't want to seek vengeance and, and retaliate. And we really looked at how that's how God has dealt with us in our sinfulness, that He's been patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so as we think about that now, and Jesus, when reviled, did not revile in return, and how Jesus was patient with His disciples, He was patient with the Apostle Paul, how He's been patient with you and me, waiting for that moment that we would repent and believe and follow after Him, we now in turn need to be patient with other people. Now here's the reality, if you tried to work on that this week, you were met with obstacles, right? I mean, if you left here last week saying, hey, you know what, God, I want you to produce this in me, then what you ran into all week long were opportunities or obstacles, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, opportunities to grow in patience. Because the more you deal with people and the more you're around people, the more you're going to understand, first of all, how much you need it, and secondly, how difficult it is. Which is why we talk about these in terms of being spirit-produced things. They're not something you just muster up, but it's something that God is producing in you. Now with that in mind, let's just continue down the list together in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Now we're going to look at two together, kindness and goodness. Now, there's a reason that we're going to look at these two together, because these two fruit are, are, are so close in nature with one another. The first one, kindness, means benevolent action. It has this heart of compassion that seeks to do good to other people. And so if we were to talk in terms of kindness, we would say things like, well, it's a, it's a smile on a face. It's a willingness to open a door. It's doing neighborly things to one, to one another. And really... That, that's true. That falls under that category. But as we're going to see here in just a moment, as we look at these two virtues, is what we need to understand is they go far beyond just the deed, and they go to the heart and motivation behind it. Now, here's the reality. You can put on a smile for people and not be kind. 
Now, they might think you're kind because you fake it, but the reality is that your heart is not kind toward them. You can do good to your neighbor and not be kind. Now, they might not know that it's not kindness, but you're just, we're taught that you help people out and you do what's right and you lend to those who are in need. And so one of the things that we need to grasp behind this whole idea of kindness is the heart and motivation behind it and the reason why you're willing to extend goodness toward other people. And so as we think about kindness again, we're thinking in terms of benevolent compassion. We're thinking in terms of uh, being gentle with others, being caring toward other people, and then good deeds outflowing from that. Now the word goodness, as we think about it, means to be morally excellent. It means to be spiritually excellent. It carries with it this idea of, of being generous and doing good in the way that you give toward other people. And so really, if you think about the life of Jesus, here's what you're going to see, I believe, clearly. A life of a man who is kind, and here's how we know that. Children were not afraid to come up to him. The, the dregs of society felt like he was approachable. Why? Because in his heart, in his nature, even though he never condoned their actions or what they did, he was kind in how he dealt with them. In Jesus, we're going to see the example of moral and spiritual excellence, but in a way that was generous and good toward other people. If you remember back a few weeks ago, we were looking at how the Pharisees were trying to catch Jesus in some form of uh, a way to to, to nail something to Him when a, a woman of the city, a woman who was more than likely a prostitute comes and she begins to take perfume and anoints Jesus' feet with it. And as the Pharisees were thinking about how they were going to entrap Jesus, it was interesting that one of the things they said was if he knew what kind of woman this was, he would not allow her to touch him. Now, one of the things that we said that was significant about that is Jesus had lived such a life of purity and goodness, their first thought was not, we're going to try to hang out, hang the fact that Jesus hangs with prostitutes on him as if he had done something immoral. They knew that wouldn't stick. His life was so spiritually and morally good that the worst thing they could come up with him was what? He claims to be God. I mean, that's what we're going to have to hang on him because there's nothing else that we can do. Even Pilate, when he sat there and was trying to come up with some form of charge that he could bring against Jesus just to appease the crowd that wanted Jesus crucified, he basically said, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. Now, here's the reality for many of us in the room. Now, while people might not be able to find something wrong with us that deserves the death penalty, for most of us, they wouldn't have to look very hard to find something wrong with us, right? They would at least be able to say, hey, there's something wrong with him. I mean, he, he didn't do this. He didn't pay all of his taxes or, you know, he, he didn't pay that late fee on the video store back from 1999. Some of the kids in the room are like, what is a video store? Uh, but, but nonetheless, nothing could be hung on Jesus. Why? Because he lived a life of moral excellence, spiritual excellence, but it also, again, as I I said a moment ago, carries with it this idea of generosity and giving and that goodness being extended to, to seeking to do good for other people. Now, as we think about this, if we're a believer in the room, here's what we know. We have experienced this from God. We have experienced kindness from the Lord. Now, now how do we know that? Because if you're born again, it wasn't because you deserved it. It's because God chose to be kind to you. As we look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4, very interesting verse where the Apostle Paul says, for it's the kindness of the Lord that leads you to repentance, right? And so what is it that led you and I to the point where we said we need to turn from this old way of life and our sin and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation? It wasn't judgment. 
It wasn't guilt. It wasn't him heaping a variety of these things on you. But instead, what led you to that moment where you were willing to turn from your sin and turn to the Lord is what? The kindness of God. Now, why is that? Because while God is indeed just while God indeed will judge those who have sinned and wronged Him, and, and which is all of us, there's judgment that comes from that. Here's the first thing that you and I know. If we've been caught red-handed in doing something wrong, it's not to run in the direction of the police, right? I've said it like this before, and my wife is like, what a terrible analogy. I said, if you've been lifting VCRs out of the back of a van, and she's like, they don't even know what VCRs are anymore, right? But for those of us who do, you know, if you are caught red-handed with whatever it is, you know, you're lifting iPads out of the back of a van, right? And you see the police, it's not to run in the direction of the police, is it? It's to run as far away from them as you can. Why? Because they represent justice, and you don't want to run in that direction, Yet somehow, when God convicts us of our sin and says, come to me, the righteous one, we find it enticing to come to him. Why is that? Because he's kind. Because he's good. Because he's generous. Because he's benevolent. And we know that even though we're caught in this moment red-handed and we feel the weight of our sin, his kindness is drawing us to him that we might in turn repent of our sin and go in the direction of him, right? And so the Bible is just filled with these examples of God's kindness. If you were to look at Psalm chapter 34, uh, verse 8, it says this. Daniel read it earlier this morning. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? What an invitation. Come, Taste, come see, indeed, that it's good. I mean, you think about that analogy, that picture, if someone has put together quite a spread of food, or maybe they've created some baked item that just looks good and says, come taste, come try, come see that this is indeed good, right? There's just a part of you that wants to come, and the psalmist says, hey, here's how good our God is. Here's the invitation. You don't believe us? Come try it for yourself. Taste and see that He is good. Think me, with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 23, right? This beautiful passage, this beautiful picture of the fact that the Lord is our good shepherd who provides, care for, leads, guides his sheep, his people in ways that are good for them. And you think about what he says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Surely what? Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I was a kid, and we would, we would read that in King James, it says this, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it baffled me that way of English, because I was like, why would you not want him? He sounds pretty good. I mean, I would hear that passage, and then later a better translation said, I shall not be in want, right? I, I'm going to have everything that I need in him. And why is that? Because you look at this good shepherd who says, I want to do good for my sheep, and I'm going to make sure they have everything they need, still waters. I'm going to restore their soul. I'm going to lead them to the place where they might feed and rest. And here's why. That surely goodness and mercy will follow them. How, how long? all the days of their life, and then they're going to do what? Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, the goodness and kindness of God that's been displayed to you and to me. 
And this is the picture, right? And we could spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. For instance, you could take a look at several passages, one of them being in Deuteronomy. And it says, as they're reminding the children of Israel who are about to go into this promised land that God has prepared for them and, and, and given them, here's what he says. Remember, you're going to go into a place of cities you didn't build, houses you didn't build, cisterns that you didn't dig vineyards that you didn't plant. Basically, here's what he's saying. You're getting ready to step, in, step into luxury that you didn't deserve or didn't earn, but here's what you need to make sure of. Make sure you don't forget the Lord who's been good to you. Make sure you don't take advantage of the good things that He gives you and forsake the very Lord who gave them. Now, now here's the danger for all of us, and this is just free. This is what idolatry is. It's taking the good things that God has given us but not worshiping the giver of those good things, right? Now, here's the reality for all of us in the room. If, if you're going to be honest, your life has been filled with good things. No matter how hard that you might think your life has been, there is good things in that life that God has given you that you did not deserve. But here's the problem for all of us. How quick we are to receive the good things that God has given us and not give praise and thanks to the giver of those good things. That's idolatry. That's why the Bible tells us we're all idolatrous at hearts. Why? Because we're so quick to take the things that God gives us without wanting the God. Here's, here's the truth. Here's why the, the prosperity gospel is so repulsive. Because it teaches that God is simply a means to get something that you want. Health, wealth, a better house, you name it, right? And so basically it's this promise that you pursue God. Why? Not for the beauty of who God is and the goodness of who God is, but you seek Him that you might find something else, which is what? A better life. And what it does, as many theologians would tell you, is it elevates the gifts above the giver of the gifts. It's idolatry. And so as we look and focus on the goodness of God, here's what we're seeing. All of the good things that He gives us are meant to draw us to Him where we experience the ultimate thing, which is Himself. Now, we think in terms of kindness, and we take a look in the New Testament. As I mentioned a moment ago, uh, we got the, the passage in Romans where Paul says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. I want to read to you from, from Titus for just a moment. Uh, Titus is a small epistle of Paul's in the Bible that, to be honest, we overlook so often. Uh, to be honest, it's interesting how little we quote the book of Titus, but let me just tell you, in this little short letter that he writes to this pastor, man, it is just rich with goodness. It's so focused on, on how works work in uh, the, the life of a Christian, how we're not saved by works. He makes that abundantly clear, but how we as the people of God should be striving to do good works, right? And, and he's making this clear picture of how we ought to understand works in the life of a, of a Christian. None of us will ever be saved by our works. The Bible's very explicit about that. Yet it's not to say that works don't matter and aren't important in the life of a Christian. All to the contrary, Paul in the book of Titus makes it very clear that we should strive to do good things and be about good works. Why? Because that is the reason by which God has saved us for. But as we take a look at uh, Titus chapter 3, I, I love this, these few verses in verse 4. It says this, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared he did what? He saved us. Think about that, right? You want to know how you know at the end of the day that God is kind? Because when His kindness appeared, when His love appeared, guess what that resulted in? 
salvation. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy. Just think about this for a moment. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we have become heirs with the hope of eternal life. So Paul says in the, to the church in Rome, it's the kindness of God that draws you to repentance. Here, he's reminding Titus as he's preaching the gospel, remember that God's kindness was manifested, His love was manifested, that when He appeared to you in your life, He saved us, not by things that we have done, but according to His mercy, according to His love. Peter, as he writes to a group of Christians, and 1 Peter is writing to a group of people who are afflicted and they're suffering because of, uh, just basically because of their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's encouraging them, he's telling them to be patient, to not grow weary in doing good, to continue to, to persevere, to serve, to love. But then he encourages them and admonishes them in chapter 2 that they're to continue to grow in their spiritual life, that they're to continue to crave as a newborn infant craves the milk of their mother, that they're to crave, here's why, tasting and seeing, he, he recites Psalm 34, that the Lord is good. He's like your motivation for this, your motivation for growth and continuing in this, even though it's difficult and hard, is because we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is indeed good. Now, we could do this all, all morning long. Like, I could keep you here throughout the day just looking at passages of Scripture that are emphasizing the goodness of God. But, but let's just concede together this morning that there's evidence enough to support this, right? And so this is the goodness that you and I have received. Now, here is what uh, Paul is going to say now. As the Spirit of God is working in your heart and life, and as He is manifesting Himself in your life, here's one of the things that's going to happen now, is you are going to reflect the kindness and goodness of God. The same heart and motivation of love, compassion, mercy, grace, goodness that God has shown to you, the Spirit is going to produce that in you, that you might manifest it, reflect it into the lives of other people. Now, here's some sad data that, that, that we know, and, and you've always got to be careful with statistics, because if you know anything about statistics, basically you say, tell me what you want to say, and I can give you some statistics to point that, right? But I think one of the things that we need to be honest about today is that if you polled the average person and just said, do you think that the church or that Christians are kind, there would be many that would say probably not. Matter of fact, I think many of them would say that they know what we're against. They see the anger and frustration in, in, in what we think is wrong and repulsive in the world. But many of them would battle that back by also saying, like, like we have not received or experienced from the bulk of so-called professed Christians an element of kindness and goodness exhibited in the world. Now, I know that's not true of every instance in every case, but really, and whether it's right or wrong, right, perception is reality on some level, a lot of people would say, we don't see the church and Christians in that vein or that way of thought. And there's a reason for that. It's because many of us, if we're being honest, in the way that we live our daily lives in and out, are not really all that kind toward other people. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to lend your neighbor a shovel if they come over and ask, but how many of you are willing to take that shovel and go work with your neighbor, right? 
It's not to say that if someone came over and said, hey, could you help me with this, that you wouldn't do it, but are we looking and seeking opportunities to reflect goodness and kindness in the world in the way that we have received it? And so I want us to think about some things that the Bible is going to tell us about how we're to seek to be kind. So here's one of the first ones Then in Matthew chapter 7, as we've looked and studied before, when Jesus is really saying, ask and seek and knock, and one of the things that He tells us is that you should not be afraid to ask for good things from your father, right? Why is that? Because he says, if you who are evil know how to do good towards your children, how much more so does your good father in heaven not want to do good things for you? And so he's given us an example, right? You who are evil, sinful, want to do good things for your kids, right? And I think most of us in the room would say, well, sure, we want to do good things for our kids. And, and he says, so here's the thing that you need to think about. If indeed you want to do good, how much more so does your good Father in heaven want to do good for those whom He loves and whom He's called to Himself? Now, this is the, 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 the fuel now for how we're to do this. And so, in that passage also in the Sermon on the Mount, later in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is going to turn things upside down when He says, you've heard it said, we looked at this last week, eye for eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give him your cloak also. Then He goes on to say this, which is just mind-blowing. You've heard it said, hate your enemies. I tell you, love your enemies. And then he goes on to say this, do good to those who hurt you, persecute you, would spitefully use you. Now, how is that different than the world? Here's how it's different. The world knows how to be kind and good to people who are good and kind to them back, right? I mean, that, that's not hard. It's not a stretch. There are people in your circle whom you have same ideals as, uh, similar desires and likes, uh, you would do anything for them and they would do anything for you. Just, just not even a question about it. It's just the relationship. You know how to be kind to one another. That's not hard. And let me tell you this, that doesn't show that you know Jesus. What's going to show that you've been radically changed and are reflecting the goodness of God? when you're willing to show the same kindness and goodness toward those who are not only different than you, but even those who would harm you, even those who would lie to you, even those who would reject you or spitefully use you. Now, that's a whole other level, right? And as we've said repeatedly, this isn't just something you muster up. This is something that God has to be producing in you by which you say, I can't explain it, but there's something in my heart that says, regardless of how you treat me, I want to be good and kind to you in return. When that's not the nature, that's not what I, I, sh I should seem like I should be doing. And that's when you're going to know that grace is at work. That's when you're going to know the Spirit is at work because all of a sudden you find this ability and this desire to do good and kind things to people who would not even seek to do those for you. And guess what? We're reflecting the goodness and kindness of God in the way that we deal with other people. Uh, if I had time, uh, I would take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul in that passage is, is basically like defending his credentials. Uh, the church in Corinth, who's this dysfunctional church, and has this kind of, and, and I say this, loosely of this love-hate relationship with Paul. In some ways, they love and appreciate him for what he's done and the way that he's labored and toiled, but, but he sp speaks hard truth to them because he loves them, and he's happened to always seem like deal with like the, the difficulties in their life. And, and I would kind of illustrate it this. 
Paul's churches in some ways are kind of like his children, and we know this, right? Some kids are just easy to take care of. Like, like they just seem to want to do the right thing, and they seem to get their homework turned in. And, you know, our, our daughter Avery was like that when she was little. Like, she, she always made good grades, and, and she just excelled in school. I remember the first time she brought home a 97 instead of a 100. And I, I said, Avery, I don't know what we're going to do with you. You got a 97. And with tears, she said, I know, Dad. I tried. I just didn't get them all. I'm like, I'm kidding. Like, I don't even know what a 97 is. I've never even seen one on a piece of paper. I mean, I didn't know they existed. I heard they did, but I've, ne- I've never even seen one before. And so, like, like, her teachers would always say, she's such a good student, and she's so kind. And her and are like, are like, yeah, we're, we're really good parents, but the reality was, like, we weren't. We, she just did that. And so some of you know what that type of child is like, and then I'm not going to talk about my other three, but you know the ones that are more difficult. And I love them, and they're good, and Avery has her own difficulties. Don't, don't let, me, let me fool you there. But like the one that just like always is just seeming like every time you think you get ahead, they do something else, and that's kind of like the church of Corinth to the Apostle Paul. He loves them, and he, he cares for them, but it just seems like they have a hard time getting it all together at the same time. And so in 2 Corinthians 6, he's defending his credentials. Basically, and I find this so really interesting, here's how he's saying, here's how you know I'm a minister of the gospel. Here's how you know I'm a believer. Here's how you know I'm called to this. He talks about his persecutions, his afflictions, his beatings, his his truth, and and his dedication to the righteousness of the Word. I mean, so like these big, lofty things that you would be like, yeah, I mean, that's pretty amazing. And in that list, here's what he throws in there. He's exhibited patience and kindness toward them. Now, 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 why is that interesting? Here's why it's so interesting to me. Like, he's saying, you want to know how I've evidence proven to you my faithfulness and obedience to the Lord? Yeah, sure, I've been beaten. Yeah, sure, I, I know the Scriptures and have dedicated myself. I've been through afflictions, but guess what? I also have been with you. I've been patient and kind. Now, now why does he put that? Because here's what we know. Patience and kindness are not normal, especially in relationships that are difficult. Anger is venomous talk is, frustrations overflowing is. But he says, you want to know how you know that I'm legit? Have I not been patient and kind? Now think about that, right? It just speaks to how big of a deal it is in our relationships with other people that we're patient, that we're kind, that we're good. But for the sake of time, go to Ephesians chapter 4. See how I snuck that in there on you? I said, for the sake of time, I wasn't, then I did. It's kind of like dishonest, isn't it? You guys need a better pastor. Ephesians 4, 29, we're going to look at that through verses 5 through 2. I want to read all of this to kind of set the, the big picture here. Basically, what he's writing is the gospel changes you and me. We know that. One of the things that Paul uses a lot is the illustration of the old life versus the new life. And so he's trying to help us to understand, all right, you're called to live a new life, a different life. There's a former way, and you've and you got to put that aside. And so he's going to talk in real practical terms about what this looks like. So in verse 29, he's going to tell us what, what it doesn't need to be. He says, now, no foul language. Now, I like some other translation better here because I think it's more encompassing that just says unwholesome talk. Because if I say foul language, here's what you automatically hear. Well, you shouldn't use profanity. 
You shouldn't tell dirty jokes. You shouldn't be crass or vile. And, and clearly that falls underneath here. But can I just tell you this? Not many churches were ruined because they cussed at each other too much. You ever, you ever hear of that? Like, yeah, that church went under because they cussed each other out too much. You just, you, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but, but it's not the norm, right? Have you ever heard of a dysfunctional church that told too many dirty jokes? Now, I'm not saying that maybe didn't become okay in the culture, but, but that's not like what you hear. And so sometimes we hear, uh, yeah, no foul language, we shouldn't do that. Well, well, clearly, that would fall under the category. But you know what has destroyed churches and relationships? Slander, gossip, lying, just hurtful words, a lack of politeness and kindness in the way that we speak, Right? I mean, and I'm, I'm telling you that, that maybe your marriage evolved to the point where constant cursing one another out became part of the problem, but I can guarantee you it didn't probably start that way. It started far sooner with different types of unwholesome talk, and basically anything that doesn't edify, anything that doesn't build up needs to be stripped away from you, and you speak only which imparts parts grace to those who hear. And so, so look here, he says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need. That, that's the edification. So that it gives grace to those who hear. Verse 30, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Now, if you read a little bit further, you're going to see that he's not just talking about cussing, because here's what he says, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Now, what's interesting to me about this little list uh, of bad speech is that you almost always find them together, not just in Paul's writings, but in Peter's also. And so anytime it seems to be the focus is on speaking well and kind and good and being a new person and a different person, this list of, of things is almost always like, and don't do this. Now, now why is that? Because this list, we're prone to doing this, Right? especially to people who aren't necessarily good to us, especially people who are difficult to get along with. And so it's easy to become bitter and anger and full of wrath. Now, just to be clear in moving quickly, anger in and of itself isn't wrong. There are some things that should anger you, right? Sin should anger us. There are atrocities that happen in the world that aren't right. That should cause a form of anger inside of us. But how we respond to that anger is telling us whether it's righteous or whether it's sinful. Now, when you become bitter, right, when you become wrathful, when, when hurtful things are coming out, more times than not, you just lost control and, and, and the venom is just spewing out trying to harm and here it just comes flowing out of you, and it's not edifying, it's not resolving, it's not anything other than just, I'm angry, I've lost control, now I'm just going to give it to you both barrels so you just understand how I feel and where we stand in this whole deal. And guess what? While honesty is important, how we deliver that is so important in, how we, in terms of whether it's going to destroy that relationship or allow God to work to mend that relationship. And so as we think about this, he says, get rid of these things, slander, the lying. You know, and this isn't just verbal because a lot of our communication anymore is in written form, right? And so let me just ask you this, just for you to think. If, if we were to take your Facebook posts, your social media posts for the last 30 days, and were to post them up on the screen and just start reading through them one by one, 
Do you think there would be more kind, edifying, building up language and vernacular in there? Or do you think you would find more angry, hostile, destructive, destroying language in that? What category would it fit in? When you're sitting at home talking to those people who are closest to you, if we were to record those conversations, and I know that seems a little unfair, but, and to say, okay, we, we've recorded the last 24 hours of your conversations, we're going to play them back for you. Do you hear more critical, condemning, hostile, angry language in how you talk about people and things? Or do you hear more language that is quick to build up to impart grace, to impart truth, how would you define that? Because this is what we're getting at, right? I mean, and and so just to quote Jesus, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so our speech, what we're saying is telling us a story, how we communicate is telling us a story about what's going on inside of us. So he says, put that away. Now, look at verse 32. You've heard your mama tell you this before more than likely, but it's not just for kids. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Jesus Christ. So so he's drawing a very distinctive line, all right? The unwholesome talk, the bitter talk, the angry talk, the slanderous talk, the unwholesome talk, it's got to be put away. Why? Because you can't be those things and be kind. They just don't, they don't live together, Right? And so, those have got to be put away, and something in turn has got to be put in its place. And he says it very simply, while he goes into a lot of language to to show you what you shouldn't do, he sums up what you should do very simply. The first one is, be kind to one another. Be kind. Now, for some of us, I'm just going to be honest, it's foreign, right? I've been in church my whole life, so uh, I told my kids the other day, my 40 years on this planet, they're like, 40? You'll be 43 next month. I'm like, well, thank you. When you get to 40, you just start talking in decade terms, right? The next one will be 50, and then 60. You know, I'm not so much worried anymore about the individual year. When you're younger, that individual year matters, and then you reach a point where you're like, yeah, let's, let's just talk in round numbers, when I get to 45, we'll start talking about the next one. But for the next four years, I'm 40, right? And that's just how, how it's going to roll and how it's going to work. I've been in church life and lived on the planet long enough now to know this. Some of the kindest people I have ever met on the planet reside in the church. Let me say this. Some of the most hateful, evil, terrible people I have ever met reside in the church. The most harshest things I have ever had spoken to me have come from people with inside the church. I mean, I have had people send me messages and letters and emails and even verbally say to me that, that lost people would not think to say to me. Why? I don't know why, other than they think they, they, ha- they can do that. And one of the things that you and I need to be thinking on is this, are we, by what people who know us would see, Are we kind, compassionate, benevolent, good in how we deal and talk with others? Do you seek to do good to other people? Now, now here's what I know. I've lived long enough to know this, that, that not being mean is not the same thing as being kind. You're like, well, I'm not mean. Well, great, neither is a rock. 
Rock's not mean. So you've got something in common with a rock, right? But are you kind? Well, I didn't say anything mean. Good. When's the last time you said something nice? When's the last time you encouraged someone? When's the last time you spoke something that imparts grace? That built somebody up? When's the last time you sought to do good to someone? Not, not you didn't retaliate wrong for wrong. That's good. I mean, there's a step in the right direction. But when's the last time that you lived with a perspective that says, I want to be good. I want to be kind toward other people. And you know what? The more I look at Jesus' life, the more I think He was so clearly categorized by this. The only people that didn't like Jesus were the self-righteous, religious, hypocritical church members, if you want to use that language. But no one else had that beef with Him. Even when He dealt with people's sin, He did so kindly. Did you notice that? Woman at the well, right? He deals some hard truth. Whenever you look at a woman and said, you're right, you've been married five times, and the woman that you're, man you're married to now is not your husband, like that, that's hard news to deliver, isn't it? Yet somehow she was not turned away by how he spoke, but all the more pressed in and wanted to say, okay, how, how do you know this and what's going on? And, and that conversation goes to a moment where he says, I've got living water for you. So much so that she wants to go and tell everybody in town, hey, you should see who I just met. Now, now think about how that conversation would have gone if Jesus would have told her the same news, but not kindly or with good heart. You think she's going to run into town and say, hey, let me tell you about the guy who's told me everything I've ever done. She's probably going to say, I've had a lot of men tell me that. It's common knowledge. People know my, my backstory, my history. Kindness goodness. She says this, be kind to one another, simple but so profound, compassionate to one another. How compassionate are you to other people? I mean, when you see someone hurting and you see someone in need, how compassionate are you in dealing? Now, now some of us are just gifted this way, right? But here's the thing, just because you're gifted and, or not gifted in this way does not give you the right not to seek to be this way. Some of us have the gift of mercy, like, like, and people like me who don't have that gift think you're half crazy, just, just to be honest with you. I praise God for you, but, 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 but the gift of mercy, my, my dad had the gift of mercy to the point I just scratched my head and be like, why would you do that? Because for me, who's very thinking-oriented, like I'm all about this, 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 and this, and he's, he's more of a feeler, and so there were just moments where I'm like, I don't get why you would do that, but nonetheless he did, and, and praise God for people like that. But you know what? Just because I maybe don't have the gift of mercy doesn't give me a pass to say, well, I don't have that gift. I don't have to be merciful. No, the Bible tells me to be merciful. So I have to try even more hard, right? Lord, make me merciful. I see the situation in black and white, and so God, I know that's not how you see it. You see it both black and white and with compassion and mercy. So God, help me to see it with the other part of me that, that, that you're developing that's not there. And so kind, compassionate, right? And you're like, well, these are such elementary words. Oh, they are, but how we struggle with them. Forgiving. Hmm. Not tolerate. Not ignore. Not just not think about it. Forgive. Now, now here's the question, right? Well, to what extent? Peter asked that. 70, 70 times, you know? How many times do I have to forgive? He thought, he thought he was like being generous. Seventy times seven, Peter. What's that mean? 
Just keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. And, and so Paul says it like this, just as God who for Christ's sake has forgiven you, be compassionate just as Christ has been compassionate to you. Be kind just as Christ has been compassionate to you. Now let me say this. God shows His compassion, His kindness, His good to us in thousands of ways every day. We, don't, we can't even measure them. We don't see them. That's sin in us. We just don't see all of it. We take it for granted. We don't even know that it's there. But every day it's that way. Now, if we're to reflect it, guess what that means? That we should be looking for thousands of opportunities every day to show God's kindness and goodness. And here's why. It changes things. God's kindness and goodness changed you. And I would bet that most of us have a story that involves God changing us with His kindness and goodness through using someone else to do that. Could have been a parent, could have been a friend, could have been a teacher, could have been a neighbor. But someone along the way was a vessel of God's kindness and goodness that in that moment that you needed it, reflected it, and God used it to forever change your life. Let me tell you this. If you go into your workplace tomorrow with this intent, I'm going to be kind and good, it will change the environment. Go home, husband, wife, and seek to be kind and good to your spouse and see if it doesn't change the environment. In dealing with your kids, in dealing with your siblings, kids, in dealing with your parents, seek to be kind and good and see if it doesn't change the environment, change the dynamic, change the relationship. In your neighborhood, seek to be kind and good. See if it doesn't change the relationships around you. I'm just telling you this, it will indeed change things and God is going to use it as a foothold that that kindness will lead people to repentance and forgiveness. Now there's several things I want to say practically then we're going to be done. So here's the first one. Kindness and goodness in your life shows that you're becoming like Jesus. You cannot become like Jesus and not be kind and good. It's just not going to happen. And so if you think that you can become a disciple and not be kind and good, let me just tell you right now, you better start working on that one extra hard because it, it, it's got to happen. Now you don't just muster it up. But you better put work into it because God's going to produce it, but we're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For some of us, it's just going to look like this. I want to say something unwholesome, and right now I'm just going to shut up. That's the kindest thing you can do in the moment, right? Just not talk. Because everything inside of you wants to open your mouth again and say something disparaging. And the kindest thing that you can do, the goodest thing, excuse my good Oklahoma grammar, the goodest thing that you can do is not to say anything. And you get in the car and you say, God, thank you by your grace and mercy. I just didn't speak. And God says, well, that's good. Next time, I want you to say something positive. And you're going to be like, what is this you speak of? It just doesn't come out, right? But, but God's going to say, no, no, that's good. We're, we're, we're on the right track, but... But now, rather than saying something disparaging, hurtful, harmful, say something good. Now, now, why is that important? Because you're going to have to be intentional. God's going to produce it, but you're going to have to be intentional. Why? Because you've developed patterns in a way of life that is not that. 
You want to do good to other people? Chances are it's not going to happen by coincidence or random. Now, God's going to present those opportunities to you, but you're going to have to be intentional in that moment. Let me tell you what this also means, which is so hard for us. You're going to have to be willing to be inconvenienced. Some of us just have our mindset on our own agenda so much. One of the reasons that we're not kind and good to other people is we are so selfish, we don't ever think about other people. And so you're going to have to be intentional. Lord, I know the opportunity's there. Help me to see it. Help me to cash in on it. We've tried a lot of techniques over the years to try to win people to the Lord. We've tried this one, and let me tell you how well that one worked. We've tried the judgment technique. You don't repent, you're going to hell. Well, it's true. But that's not normally the best technique for people, right? Tell me how well that conversation starts out. Hey, do you know Jesus? No. Well, you better because you're going to burn forever. (laughs) I mean, think about some of those tracks that you used to get, right? Like page three, there's flames and you're screaming. You're like, what? I I mean, you might get terrified. I'm terrified of the person that gave me that track. Why did you just meet me and give me a booklet that has me burning in it? Like, it can work, but judgment typically is not a great method. It'll get people down an aisle. It'll terrify them, and I'm not saying we shouldn't preach on the reality of hell. When we get to passages like that, Jesus made it very clear what hell is like. But you know what? I don't think that's our just immediate go-to. Here's another one that we've tried over the years. Shame and guilt. Make people feel shameful and guilty for what they've done. Anybody like that technique? I mean, as parents, we try it right, and we always feel bad after we do it. Sometimes we just don't know what to say to a situation, and we're just like, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And we go down this whole list of the things that they've done wrong as if they don't know, and sometimes they need to be taught. I'm not saying that. But, but shame and guilt, what does that really accomplish What about this? This is how God deals with us. Kindness and goodness. Now, He never avoids the truth in being kind and good. So let me just tell you this. It's not kind and good to tell people that you can go to heaven without Jesus. It's not kind and good to say that there's no such thing as hell and that that's not real. That's just a made-up place for people who are trying to scare you into something. There's nothing kind and good about that. But you know what? You're far more likely to get to that point in the real, real conversation with people if you've been kind and good than just to look at someone and say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for how you've lived and what you've done. You're going to go to hell for that. Anybody, anybody like ever been, I'm in. I, I want that Christian stuff when somebody tries to do that to you. Now, you might get terrified. You might feel ashamed and feel like, well, I guess I better come get my beaten for what I've done wrong. But that doesn't win your heart. And God's after your heart. I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment. God has shown His kindness and good to you today by just allowing you to hear of His kindness and goodness today. And all around you are evidences of God's kindness and goodness. And I know we can go down the rabbit hole of explain to me why this happened and this happened, and here's the reality. No one can can say that we don't live in a broken world that's not been tainted by sin. And for whatever reason, by God's eternal plan, He's allowed that to prevail for a time. 
Yet even in the midst of it, here's what we know. Beyond our ability to see and understand, there is a sovereign God who even is able to take the worst things that mankind can do and use them for our good. Now quickly you might say, well, prove that to me. And here's what I would say to you. Look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ who God took the most vilest offense that mankind could ever do, which is crucify, murder, and humiliate the perfect sinless Son of God, and He used that to bring salvation to the world. God somehow by His plan is able to will and to use things He despises for good for those who who call out to Him. Now, I can't sit there and diagnose every situation in your life and tell you every reason why that thing that was bad happened, how God's going to use good from it. I, I don't have that power to see that. But what I can tell you is by the truth of God's Word that He indeed can and will and does use those things. And even contrary to that experience or experiences, your life has still been filled with good things that God has given you that you didn't deserve or ask for but solely based on His goodness, He has given those things to you. And if we indeed in this room have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, which if we're a believer, we have, then are we reflecting that in the world? You know, one of the things that I I pray for in my life regularly, because I know it's just not like it should be, is, God, I just want to be more like Jesus. And there are many times I walk away from a situation and I have to rebuke myself and say, God, that wasn't very much like Jesus. So will you change that in me? Maybe it's not what I said. Maybe it's my tone. Maybe it's not my tone or what I said, but it's my heart that they couldn't see. And one of the things that God is, ways that God is going to use us in our world, in our community, especially in a place so, so full of anger and hostility and bitterness, is for you and I to be kind and good. And again, to use some great grammar, the kindest and goodest thing that you can do is to love people and point them in the direction of Jesus. So, Father, would you have your way in us today? Would you draw us to your kindness and goodness that brings salvation and leads us to repentance? Father, would you stir in our hearts in a way that leads us to be kind and good to other people that we might tell them of how kind and good you are? Remove our anger. Remove our bitterness, our malice, our unwholesome talk and replace it with kindness, compassion, forgiveness, just as you who for Christ's sake forgave us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? The altar's open for you to pray. We have people down here who would visit and pray with you. You feel more comfortable talking to people at the back. You can head right back there to our connection point, and there are people who would be happy to, to visit with you there's a need you have, you can write it on the connect card, drop it in the offering plate on your way out. But this is simply a time for you to respond as the Lord has been working in your heart.